Episode 57 of the Goldust podcast with Aaron Danks was really well received. There were lots of positive feedback coming back to us via our social media platforms, so thank you for sharing that. Now, for today's episode, here is a snippet of what to expect. I will take 100% of every single time. I will take a good person over a good player um, because I think the value that adds to the locker room the connection that that brings to the group. Um, I suppose we've all been in there when there's been a bad egg in a, in a, in a locker room and it, it's difficult to navigate. Do you need mavericks at times? Absolutely. Uh, but they have to be a certain type of maverick. Can you still mould that player to be a good person? Not many coaches can say they've won a trophy within the first few months of becoming a head coach, but today's guest can. We're excited to welcome current Orange County Soccer Club head coach, Richard Chaplow onto the podcast today. Richard is a former Premier League footballer who moved stateside to finish his playing career in 2016. Rich retired in 2018 and went straight into an assistant role at Orange County. Midway through 2021, he was named interim head coach, immediately turning fortunes around. He got named head coach shortly after, then led Orange County to the USL Championship, which was the first in the club's history. Rich, welcome and thanks for coming on to the Goldust podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having us, guys. Appreciate appreciate it. So to us, Goldust is about sprinkling particles of knowledge to help people. What does Goldust mean to you? I suppose from a, a team aspect and a, on, a, on a professional level, it's um, it's winning games and, and how we do that. Uh, for me, that's in a culture that allows us to to go out and compete, um, driving standards to do that culture, sort of a little one percent, so to speak, uh, that I feel is so important. Um, so yeah, just just really trying to um, give the players those those chances to to be the best they can be, um, and creating a culture to support that. So, Rich, you're a, a retired English professional soccer player playing for. West Brom in the Premier League, Burnley, Southampton, Millwall and Ipswich in the Championship and Doncaster Rovers in League One. But during your, uh, your playing career, you also represented England at under-19, under-20 and under-21 levels. And then you eventually finished your playing career over in the US, playing for Orange County of the USL Championship. Out of all of that, I was playing out to shape your values and your beliefs. Um, yeah, a lot of clubs there. Huh? So, um, no, a lot of experiences, really. Um, and, and I really do sort of lean on those um, heavily and on a daily basis. Um, they obviously shape you as a, as a person and as a player as you, you travel the world um, and experience different things. But um, the one thing that I took out of it um, is, is the honesty is a big one uh, for me. Uh, having coaches that have always been honest with me um, gave me that understanding that that's how I wanted to be as a coach. Um, and and that's I think that's very important that we're, we're like that with players and, and high standards. Um, every single club I've been at um, that we've achieved anything in, um, whether that be promotions, whether that be escaping relegations, uh, winning winning cups, uh, winning games. They've all, they've all had standards in the, in the locker room, 
uh, or the change room as we call it in England, um, from which are set from the from the club, from the organisation, from the franchise, um, and every single place that I failed as a player or I've we've not achieved as a team what we set out to achieve, in my opinion, has always been because those standards weren't really driven uh, on a daily basis, um, and I think being part of that. Of them experiences um, seeing seeing what standards brings um, has really made me as a person and as a player make sure that um, I'm very detailed on those. Rich, you talk about the high standards and having experiences on both sides of it. So the success that you had was the high standards were there when you didn't, they weren't. What were they? What what were those standards that you talk about? What kind of things did you look for in that? Um, so I think as a player, first and foremost, the, the accountability in the locker room. Um, the locker room should really, in my opinion, as a player in every in every team that's been successful, should run itself. Um, it should have it should have leaders in there that hold people to the standards of themselves. Uh, if you want to achieve uh, achieve things and drive home success, people step out of of the rules that have either been set by the group or by the management. Um, they should be pulled up on that. They should be. They should know that that's wrong. Uh, they should be pulled in line. And then also from from a club perspective, and and some of it is it's difficult because some of it can be can be budget based. But I won't I won't name the club. But we had a disastrous time there um, as a player and, a, and as a person. And I knew it was going to be a bad time because the first day I walked into the locker room, the door handle fell off in my hand walking into the changing rooms. I then took my claws off and hung them up on the claws peg and the claws peg fell off. So to me, that is, is a lack of detail. It's a lack of standards. They're, they're accepting those things. And it was no wonder that in that particular season, we struggled and, and ultimately didn't achieve what we set out to achieve at the start of the season. And I would ro- walk around the buildings, there'd be pitches all skew-whiffy, there'd be rubbish on the floor that people would walk past and things like that. I'm a big believer that if you walk past a piece of rubbish, pick it up. If you walk past a corner of equipment, pick it up. If the pitch is screwed, we're straightening it up. But small things like that will, for me, are the little one percents that if everyone is doing it and it becomes a team, it becomes habit and then you take them habits out onto the field. Love that. And we'll go into that, I'm sure, in more detail from your side because mentioned you obviously finished your playing career in Orange County in the USL Championship. You're now the head coach of Orange County. You went from player to assistant, then into the role of head coach. In that shift, which was relatively short, how did that change how you interacted with the players, the staff and the owners? I mean, I think I think it's really important that you're always true to yourself uh, and you don't try and sort of manufacture a persona, so to speak. So in respect to my personality, not much really changed. I think as an assistant, I, I was still quite driving the players and then demanding high standards on, on the field. The difficult part of being an assistant is that, you know, it, it's how you see it. And then sometimes your message isn't constantly carried out uh, once it goes beyond, you know, your responsibilities. Um, so the main changes in respect to... Was, was the responsibility, um, you know, managing people, planning, um, leadership, 
um, people, you know, reporting to you, me make, making sure that people were held accountable. Again, again, speaking about the standards, making sure that staff members did the roles, did the responsibilities. If they didn't, just having honest conversations with them as people and making sure that they understood that they're the example setters. How can, how can we hold a group of people to account if the staff aren't delivering? Um, so just small little things like that. And that's not to say that that, that was necessarily the case. Um, there's always ripples. So, you know, I think if you, if you set the standards early and everyone understands where they're at and you stay on top of them, things just take care of themselves. From being an assistant in Orange County, you took over the helm halfway through the 2021 season. During that period, your team went on to win the championship, which is a fantastic fit. What issues does that now create for you as a manager? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> difficult really, isn't it? So uh, I think ultimately the, the, the first thing that springs to mind is, is now managing expectations. You know, we were obviously delighted with the outcome last year. We now have to, you know, make sure that we do our utmost to defend that. But anybody that's been in the game at any level, it's extremely hard to get to the top, but it's, it's without doubt even harder to stay there. So relishing that, that challenge now, uh, making people understand that they still have a, a, a hell of a lot of work to go. We've got a lot of, of work to do as first of an organisation to get where we want to be long term. Um, we're making good strides in that and, and it's a slow process for anybody that's been in it will understand that it's a slow process. But then on the field, you know, making sure that that we keep improving. Uh, we keep adding the right pieces. We keep evolving as a team. Anybody that was um, watched any of our games last year and we were extremely hard to break down. For me, the defensive side of the game is ultimately what, what we re- refer to as the winning side of the game. Um, and we became very efficient at that, uh, in that part of the game. But I wasn't, overly, I wasn't overly excited about what we were doing with the ball in all honesty. And I think there's a lot of growth for us to come in that, in that respect. But um, obviously we had to find a winning formula um, and we had to do that quickly. Um, and once the wheels got going, we, it didn't make sense to, to rock the boat too much. Um, so even though I wasn't too, too happy with, with our production in front of goal and, and our style of play with the ball, uh, there were still some fantastic moments in there for sure. We, we really focused a lot on the defensive aspects of the game, uh, being hard to break down, being compact, being organised. And that's exciting because that means if we've got a lot of growth to go on that side, that we can, uh, there's a lot of, of room for us to improve. And hopefully, you know, this season we can continue to do that. Obviously, when you win things, managing players' expectations is one of the biggest challenges, particularly when... Players may have aspirations to play at higher levels. How do you manage that? Because the balance between managing their expectations and players, the reality of the situation is extremely fragile at best. Yeah, I think I think ultimately getting people to buy in that um, for us to be successful or for them to be successful, we need to be successful first as a, as a team, um, as an organisation. Uh, if we win the championship, that of course puts people in the shop window. Um, hopefully, you know some of our our players that are able to play at higher levels get the opportunity to do that. Um, that is without doubt much easier for them to achieve individually if they're in a winning team, um, if they're in a winning organisation, um, if the momentum uh, is allowing them to perform on a daily basis rather than being in a team that's struggling. So, I think I think making sure that people you know are on board with that 
it is very much if you want to win anything you you've got to have a full group that that pull in the same direction and that involves staff that involves gms and owners everybody's got to be on the wagon everybody's got to be going in the right direction and pulling in the same in the same way so that was very much part of when we first took over we tried to to do we needed to galvanize the group um, we needed to make sure that they were all on board and we needed to make sure that the psyche was was at a point that they could compete um, because we were a little bit fragile you know luckily for us uh, we had a group that I knew I knew had that in them it just needed pulling out a little bit you've somewhat just answered what I was just about to ask you <laughs> you're still only Sunday you've you've killed me with the Rich sorry uh, about that you're all right look we, we've spoke about it you took over halfway through the season and earlier on, you obviously spoke about standards and then just mentioned then around getting a group pulling in the right direction and by group, not just players, but GM, owners, everybody's got to be, you've got to be aiming for the same goal. But how did you do that? So in, in terms of what you've spoke about, can you give us a quick snapshot of what you did to implement that, implement and help shape the culture the playing group, getting the GM, the owners, how did you get everyone on board? What kind of things did you do? I mean, I think I think it's harder to influence uh, front office staff, so to speak, so especially ownership. Um, you know, we have little uh, communication with them in that respect, but obviously GM and sporting director and things like that is a, is a daily connection. Uh, so I think first and foremost, obviously, our, our focus was, was very much on the team. We took over, what was it, I think... 36 hours before um, a local derby against San Diego who were um, going well in the league and we had little time to prepare the team. So ultimately our main focus, like I said, was was trying to give the team that winning mentality and trying to give them some strength going into that game, trying to get the psyche in the right place. And that was the, the first protocol. So a couple of exercises, uh, some frank conversation on a video analysis on body language um, and what we'd seen, me and Paul Hardiman, who was my assistant, uh, and what we thought we could improve very quickly just by everybody being, being together. Um, we followed that up by a short exercise in the locker room after just about, um, they, call, they call it the five P, so a bit of perception how people you know, and it was a it was a group involvement, bit of perception on how the outside world perceives us right now. Then the three next things that we don't want to have in our team being prisoners, people bad eggs, people that you know are disruptive, protesters, people that are negative, people that uh, are mourning, passengers, people that are just not interested and lazy and don't want to be there. Asking the group if you know to reflect on that individually at that moment, and and if if they are then people then is this the right place for you? Do you want to continue with this group? Because we need you all on board if we want to go and achieve things for the rest of the season. And then ultimately the fifth one being, we need participants. Uh, we need people that want to jump on board. We want people that buy in, add value to the group, do things correctly. And we felt that if we could get every single person in that locker room, staff included, I pulled them in as well, that we could, we could achieve great things. We went to San Diego and we won 2-1, which gave us the, uh, tiebreaker on them for the playoffs, which ultimately put us in a very strong position on the last game of the season uh, that we knew we only needed a draw to get a home playoff game. Um, so it, small little things like that, I think, put us in a good position. But 
ultimately that was just the starting block of what we wanted to achieve confidence helps without doubt in this sport uh winning wins help obviously we got off to a great start um and then throughout that like i've already mentioned then then adding them standards and then one percent that created that culture i made the team pick up equipment when they left the exercise to go off to the water i made them pick up the cones to help the equipment manager we talked about in the locker room when we take our uniforms off putting them in piles so that again the equipment manager can come along and it's it saves in 10-15 minutes of his day picking up rubbish things like that I was I was a big believer on it I really pushed hard on it I called people out on it when they didn't do it um, because I wanted us to be a team I wanted us to from from top to bottom I think that ultimately that got us through difficult moments in games. Accountability obviously is like a common golden thread which seems through and it filters in during this during our conversation here you've already pre-answered one of the the next question really which is around players what you do with them but orange county is it it's your club is a selling club how do you balance winning on the field and developing and showcasing their talent young talent uh, it's a difficult one, really, isn't it? I mean, uh, we are a selling club. Uh, it's definitely part of our model that we want to give young local talent and, and or national talent, as it be as well, uh, a platform to perform. I think the USA is a fantastic place for them to do that. And um, unfortunately, that means as, as a club, at times we're going to lose good players. But I think ultimately, us understanding that um, ahead of time is important. Uh, we want to give these guys that opportunity to step up to the next level and they will go with with our blessings every every single time we can do that. And that, that just means that we're doing the job. So if that leaves me with a little bit of a headache now and again, so be it. I mean, it just means we have to tweak a few things, adjust a few things, adapt a few things, which is nothing new, um, and, and keep trying to move forward. And, you know, what that does is it does create a little bit of space for the next the next person to come in and, and have another opportunity. And hopefully that person's prepared in the right way to take that opportunity. And that's, again, not just in this sport, but life. That's what it's about, right? Taking the opportunities at the right times and thriving from them. And, you know, hopefully in the next sort of 12 months or, or shorter, we'll, we'll have some players, you know, making that step. Well, with that being said, Rich, so... It's about players showcasing the talent and, and for those that are able and capable to step up to the next level, fantastic. It then opens the door for a another player to then come in and provides them the opportunity to then showcase what they've got. For you as a head coach, in your opinion, what are common themes that you steer toward to help develop these players that you're working with? I think that's... Uh, that's- Probably there's two probably two parts of that both probably off the field and on the field really. So I think I think on the field is um, is the simple things that the I mentioned it earlier. The body language is a big thing for me. You know I think for any player to be successful, they need to have intensity and intent about the game. They need to be effective and efficient. And I think if if you're not fully focused on on every task that you're doing while you're on the field without doubt there's going to be some small moments where your actions aren't aren't correct and I think body language is a big indicator to me on on are they present in what they're doing are they taking on board um, what yes I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in here you've mentioned no you've mentioned body language a few times okay what no problem 
what kind of things would you be looking for when you mention that? What would you, what do you mean? Um, so, so we don't train necessarily on, on the best fields or world-class fields and facilities like that. So are you coming out to training, laces tied, head up, bouncing onto field? Or are, you, are you coming out sort of head low? Uh, are you right on the, the second of being um, on time onto the field? Are you, when you're in the passing drill, which could be perceived as a warm-up, is your passing crisp? But there can be always mistakes in that because, like I said, the surface isn't, isn't quality. The, the surface isn't immaculate. It never is. Nothing's ever perfect. So I think putting your heart and soul into what you're doing, putting that sort of added sort of intent to it where even if it's a bad pass, commit to the pass. You know, even if it's a bad touch, get after the touch. I really believe that we can see as coaches straight away whether a player's there with us or he's not there with us. And um, I think every day, if you want to be your best, you've got to be fully present in, in the actions that you're doing. For young players, especially, mindset and mentality is huge. The talent will get you so far without doubt. But the next step is without going into obviously soccer IQ and things is definitely the mindset of, of the player. You know, how they how they conduct themselves every day on the field. Do they have that winning mentality? Do they take ownership? Uh, are they robust enough to deal with failures and mistakes? And that will be the difference for the for your young boys. So again, then off the field, like I mentioned, the is again that accountability, ownership, the professionalism, the mindset, turning up on timekeeping, and, and all those sorts of sorts of things. So when we're driving things as coaches, and just big on on professionalism, big on on effort levels, big on intent and big on, on focus. I'm going to throw another one at you here then. Oh, another, another hand grenade. So yeah, <laughs> look, you want to say you've players have left and you need to fill a spot. If you're looking outside of the club for a new player, what is it, what qualities is it that you look for? Not, uh, obviously there's, there's the, from a footballing standpoint, what they've offered, depending on positions, et cetera. But what is it you look for from players? Um, I think, again, it'll depend whereabouts that player is in the development. If we're talking about young players, then obviously the talent aspect is a big one because we believe that, again, the environment that we put them in will give them the nourishment to, to teach them how to be a professional ultimately and give them the nourishment that they need to to see if they can reach the levels they need to reach to get on to the next uh, to the next stage of whether that be Europe, whether that be MLS, whether that be Mexico or wherever. So more the younger the player is, it's, it's definitely more talent based. If we're looking to bring somebody in uh, and recruit somebody for to slot straight into the team and somebody that is slightly older, maybe like 27, 28, uh, 100% that person has to be a good person. Uh, their their references have to check out. They have to be uh, somebody that is is not, as I mentioned earlier, a prisoner or or a passenger or um, a protester. You know, they have to be somebody that comes in is a good person first and foremost. Because I will take one hundred percent of every single time. I will take a good person over a good player because I think the value that adds to the locker room, the connection that that brings to the group. Um, I suppose we've all been in there when there's been a bad egg in a, in a, in a locker room and it, it's difficult to navigate. Do you need Mavericks at times? Absolutely. Uh, but they have to be a certain type of Maverick. Can you still mould that player to be a good person? Um, are their core values matching yours? So they're important aspects for me on the upper end of the age scale. 
uh, when we go into recruitment on that. And then on the lower end, like I said, it's very much talent based. And then we, it's down to us as coaches to give them them values, you know, because ultimately people have experiences off the field that mold their personalities and characters. And I think then getting to understand that person at a younger age where you have the ability to, to mold them a little bit more. And it's difficult to do that with a 31 and 32 year old. Um, can it be done? Yes, absolutely. <clears throat> but um, obviously the younger they are, the easier it is to, to shape them. Well, obviously you're, you're aiming to develop cultural architects and, ensure that the environment that you're creating is conducive for for success whatever success means obviously result based where you're at but from a coaching perspective one thing we see a lot and probably if we're honest we do ourselves is overcoach by talking too much during games and sessions meaning players don't form their own ability or an ability to be able to solve their own problem well, from your experience, what are the best ways for us as coaches to behave, to communicate in game and during sessions? Um, I don't know if you'll agree with this, but I think it's different communicating in games than it is in sessions. So I think in sessions, um, in sessions, I'm very much somebody that will communicate in the floor. Don't really like stopping it unless we really have to. It's a theme that just keeps reoccurring and keeps popping up or it's something we've spoke about already. Or maybe it's right at the start and it's important that we make a clear picture on that immediately so that the rest of the session is fluid. But for the majority, I would like to always coach in either natural stoppages or in the floor. And then I very much believe in, in collaborating with the players solving problems together in, in the training session. So I think that's that's super important to do in that respect. In the game aspect, because we're in the professional level, and again, I've coached, obviously, grassroots, so to speak, so I have some empathy on that as well. And we, we never, obviously, for younger guys, we never want to joystick them, so to speak, and give them the solutions in games to win games because at that age, it's is it important to an aspect? Yes, but it's the development we're trying to get from the younger players, right? But... I think once you're in a professional environment, it's all about winning games. So I'm very much an extra pair of eyes. Um, you know, I've got I'm guiding the players, I'm instructing the players, I'm trying to organise them so that we're not, you know, we're not showing any sort of chinks in the armour. And I think very much then it becomes, yes, you are a little bit more hands-on. You are giving them the solutions in real time because, you know, it's very important that you nip it in the bud as soon as you see it to get the three points. Um that's obviously not the way to go with with U11s or U12 term. Yeah, I have empathy on, on both sides of it. And that's quite a comprehensive answer. Do you coach players or do you coach sessions? Um, good question. Um, we, we coach sessions, but again, with you can coach a player, I think, within a session where it's a little bit of a chat, again, in natural stoppage to to sort of say hey listen can you try and do this but I think I think if you I think you have to give them the the grand target of what we're trying to achieve and the, and the bigger picture and then inside that it might be a case that a coaching point is directly so sorry at what one person as they walk back into shape or they walk back into position um, I think that has to be done on instinct and what you see on that action it could be a case that everything is is bang on apart from this one aspect and then unless you feel as a coach that it's important, everybody hears it, 
then obviously that would be an individual conversation. When developing players, situational awareness is critical to have it in your locker. What strategies do you use to tune into what's happening in front of you? So, for example, you obviously just mentioned then something's going on. There might be one player that you recognise something that happens and you have to then pull them aside. But what strategies do you use to tune in on those kind of things? Um, I think from a head coach perspective, um, I like to sometimes just stand out away from the session a little bit, uh, let the assistants run it um, and sort of zoom out so that I can just see a bigger picture. Um, then come in a little bit closer in to, to see it a bit more in, in hand, so to speak, and get a bit, bit of a better feel for it. That would be to be one strategy, I think, where you can you can take things in. But I think ultimately, a lot of situational awareness is through experience, right? So it's it's again trusting your gut in that moment. Um, where do you gain your experience? Obviously, being in the moments, um, then communicating and speaking about them after, reflecting on those moments with your peers. If there's something I wasn't quite sure about because I don't know everything having small little conversations with the coaches and, and maybe just walking around to the other side and saying, are you seeing this as well? And uh, what do you think about it before you step in? You know, I think that support mechanism of, of your peers and your staff is, is really, really important. Um, obviously, you have to trust them for that reason. Um, but yeah, I think ultimately communicating, uh, reflecting, and then that adds to the experience and then it's acting on, on instinct. Obviously, being a constant learner, we're learning machines. Your point in not knowing everything is obviously something that I think any man that thinks he does, or any female that thinks do, we've got they've got problems uh, for sure. Now, you mentioned that. What specific area of management do you feel you need to improve to become even better at doing what you do? I mean, the short answer is everything. Um, because ultimately I am at an early stage and like you say, we are constantly learning. Um, I think a more specific answer would be that I have to um, have a little bit more patience uh, now and again. I think um, sometimes I feel if a player is, if I, if I feel like a player is not, uh, not quite with us on a certain day and I've given them a few kicks up the butt beak and, and there's still no reaction and, they're kind of just out there, you know, not wasting everyone's time. But, you know, if I know they're in a, if they're, and again, you can get a feel for it. If I feel like they're sulking or things like that, I don't, I don't have much time for that in respect. It's, it's a challenge. It's um, for them. It's an opportunity for them to, to maybe uh, prove me wrong if they're not happy with a certain thing. And I think patience on my side of things to maybe be a little bit more lenient with those players could at times be, uh, could at times be better. Again, it's something that I am aware of and I'm trying to work on, but as always, it's uh, it's a process. But I think, yeah, emotional intelligence is, is very much needed um, for any successful manager, whether, again, it's in business, whether it's in sports. So those things, again, come up constantly um, and you keep trying to evolve and, and make the right decisions and learn from from when you do it right and make notes of when when things went well uh, but patience I think would would be a big one and I'm pretty sure my wife would would probably also agree with that uh, I'm not going to throw an angry at any because <laughs> but one you'll have to explain to us what what needs to be done then for you to be more patient 
Um, you mean in respect to the the behaviour of the player or me long term? Well, both. Um, okay, so I think obviously a reaction first and foremost from the player is something that you want to see as a coach. You know, I will poke and prod a little bit to try and get a reaction in different ways. Whether, however, that player responds, we know as coaches, players sometimes don't respond to being yelled at. Sometimes they need to be encouraged in different ways, and and that's very important that we we understand the person. Uh, behind the player, so that we can we can coach them to the best of our ability. But if it's if it's getting to the the point where they're just not responding, um, you know, if you don't want to improve and be out here, then why are you with us? Sorts of thing. You know, we might as well get yourself in. In respect to me becoming more patient long term, I think again it's just exposure. It's exposure to them moments. Um, it's being able to learn from the last moment and try and implement what I learned from that in the next moment. Um, I'll still get it wrong, uh, of course. But one thing I'm a big, big believer on is if you do get something wrong, hold your hand up uh, whenever that is, whether that's immediately, whether that's in a couple of hours' time, a day later, a week later, and, and just apologise and explain to that person and have a conversation with that person as a human being that, on reflection, I think I, I got that one wrong and I apologise and I'll try and do better next time. You know, what you're sharing there, you, you're getting a great deal of what's in front of you, so it's the situational awareness, but primarily it's coming from your gut. So you'll have a feeling around an experience based off what you've seen and then based off what reactions you're getting thereafter. Do you feel as you, you know, that gut feeling, because it's based off, a specific bias that we each and every one of us have you'll have played as a player and you have done it at very high level and then our standards then are wanted to we're wanting the standard to then be relayed into someone else so is it the gut that you're tending to go off or are you going off experiences of past that help you how much of it is feedback and how much do you take feedback as a coach um, I think, again, as, as feedback as a coach is, is something that is critical for me. Again, having then the staff members around you that, I mean, I was lucky enough to have uh, Paul Hardiman with me last year. He's extremely experienced as a coach. So he was a great sounding board for me. But I'll take feedback from anybody, whether that be players. I'm very open with my players. Um, I will ask them if they like sessions. I will ask them if they like uh, the way we conducted the session. I will ask them if there's anything they would have done differently. Um, always trying to pick away at the little details of how we can improve. I think feedback is is super, super important um, for us to to improve as as people and as, as coaches. And it's always welcomed. I would be very surprised if anybody on the highest level doesn't welcome feedback um, and if they don't they need to <laughs> and then and then yeah just seeing how we can we can implement that standards obviously from where I played at I'm not disillusional in respect to where I expect players to to be potentially at the level that I was at I can, like I mentioned earlier, I can completely accept mistakes, but what I can't accept is lack of effort or lack of intent or lack of intensity or, or, or desire and determination. That, that for me is free stuff. Now, can is that person that's full of intent able to run quicker than the person next to him? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean that the, the slower person has to run at, not at their maximum. And I just believe in everybody trying to play to their maximum and, see where that gets them.
giving everything they've got, not being scared of the failure aspect um, and trying to push the boundaries of what they can achieve. I'm going to go now into, we'll go a little bit into coaching sessions, etc. For you, what do you feel like every effective practice should possess? Um, realism. Um, I think four moments of the game, super important um, in, in as many of the exercises that you can do. So simple things like in a rondo, uh, quite often we see in rondos the, the middle guys win it and it, that means that action's done. You can put a couple of goals either side of the rondo box so when the two or three in the middle win it, they've got a, the next action is for them to try and score, which means the guys in possession then are becoming defending. So you've got your transition in there. You can do that in your possession boxes as well, which is very simple to do as well. Um, so I, I really believe that as much as possible, um, and the exercises that allow it that the the four moments should be present to give that realism to the game because ultimately Monday to Friday uh, we're working to create habits to create uh, to take onto the field on a Saturday you know we're, we're looking to improve uh, Monday to Friday all the time improve those habits so that you know on a Saturday we can go out there and prove that you know we are getting better we are a good team we are heading in the right direction um, and I'm a big believer that if we create those habits on a daily basis, they'll become consistent um, on, on game days. So, Richie, what are the four moments? Uh, so, obviously, with the ball, so attack and defence are, are, are the op- obviously the two opposites, and then the transmission, the transition moments. So, defending to attack and then attacking to defence. So, um, everybody has slightly different language for that. You know, some people call that of offence or defence here in, in America. Some people call that in possession, out of possession. Some say with the ball, without the ball can get complicated. Uh, there's a lot of different lingo out there. For us, we actually use language um, where we, we say we and they. So we with the ball is we and without the ball is, is they. So the transition would be we to they and they to we. Um, that came from Franz Hoek, who's, who was our technical director for three or four years. And it's a, a language we believe that regardless of, of what language you speak, if you say we have the ball, people generally understand. Uh, if you say they have the ball, they generally understand. So is it foolproof? Absolutely not. Nothing really, nothing really is. But uh, yeah, the four moments can, can get complicated in respect to how we refer to them, but they are consistent throughout the game. So the four moments that you mentioned there, and uh, but so that players get a balanced diet of what the demands of the game are, what do you incorporate in every session? So you, we can talk about the four moments, but what would you incorporate so that the players are getting you know, that sense and the feel of, of, of a love and a connection with the ball What's incorporated? What is the one thing that you would, that's always in every session for you? As much as possible, and players will absolutely eat it up every time. I know I did it. I, I think that if you, have a, if you just have a game in there at any point in the session, that you'll see the joy, you will see the love that comes into everybody's faces, the energy that immediately comes out put two goals down, put two goalkeepers in and immediately you'll, you'll see the, the level, you know, go up, a, uh, go, up a, go up a bit. And that just comes because that's the natural instinct, I think, of us as why we got into the get, uh, into playing it. You know, I, 
playing with your with your mates on the park, chucking your goalposts down with your jumpers, with cricket stick wickets, whatever it was, with poles, using two trees, sticking your mate in between and playing. That is that is ultimately why we all started doing this game. And I think any player you speak to, anybody that's played, regardless of whether that's at grassroots up until professional level, you just want to play. And and I think that is also why going back to the earlier answer, I think it's important if you, even if it's a possession drill and it's got a theme to it that we still have some form of goal in there because people love scoring goals. People love blocking goals. People love the last ditch tackles. People love that competition side. So one would be 100% every, every session, if it allows it physically uh, is to, to have, have a game in there and finish on the game. And then the other aspect would be competition again. So, you're doing a standard passing drill and, and the guys are probably going through it and, and even though you're driving it, it it's probably likely around about 85 to 80 percent sort of intensity as soon as you put a competition in and say okay it's group a against group b loser does five press-ups first one to pass it around the diamond of the passing drill is the winner you will see the level again go from a, a three to four to to the maximum it can be because you want to win Everybody wants to win. And I think that's true. You know, we do it as, as parents with kids, right? We we say, uh, go and get us that over there, uh, whether that's the ball, go and fetch my ball for me. You know that if you put a time on it, that that kid will run at his absolute maximum to get the ball and get back to you. Now, if you just say, go and get me my ball, they'll just jog over, pick the ball up and come back. So as humans, we thrive off it, the competition side of it, the competitive side of it, the winning side of it. Uh, so adding that into every exercise we can um, and adding games into every session. I'm a big believer that, that that in itself will bring the intensity that you need. Rich, moving on from there, what's one question you wish your players asked you more frequently? Um, that's a good question. Um, I think as human beings, we focus a lot on the negative. Um, so I would say that I think understanding our strengths, so players simply coming up to me and saying, what do I do well? I think that's a, a really, really important question for them to have a grasp on what they are effective at uh, so that they can do more of it ultimately on the field is, is very, very important. Majority of the times players come up to me and say, oh, how, how can I improve? And and what they're actually asking is like, oh, what, what am I not very good at? What do I need to get better at? Is that important? Absolutely. We need to get stronger in our weakest areas of our games. But if we can understand what our weapons are, if we can understand what our strengths are, then then ultimately we can we can put ourselves in positions to use them more. Uh, and if we're going to use them more, then we're going to become more effective, uh, which is is ultimately what we want from our players. And that's going to help the team. It's going to help them. So I think very simply, you know, players focusing on, on what are they good at and asking, you know, what am I good at? What, what do you need to see more from me? What did I do well? Uh, the questions that, you know, I think as society, we have a, a terrible habit to focus on the negative, to focus on, on our weaknesses. Is that, is the value in that? Yeah, there is some value in it. Of course, it gives us a, a rounded opinion on, on who we are. Um, but I think if we can focus more on what we're good at, we'll be better for it in the long term. And around questions and then obviously certain things around that. Uh, but advice can come from an array, an array of different guises. Uh, and sometimes when we're, when we're not ready for it, 
But what is the best management coaching advice you've received so far in your management career? I would say probably be yourself. Uh, don't try and be somebody you're not. Uh, be true to who you are. Be realistic about your your strengths and weaknesses, so to speak. So I think having a strong grasp on, on, on who you are and what you are is important. So that leads you into um, the saying that basically, do you know what you don't know? I think that's that's really important for us. Uh, again, then from that, the next stage would be to, um, once you have that grasp, once you have that understanding as a, as a, as a coach or as a player, putting in the pieces around you to support you to, you know, perform. You know, like I, I mentioned, I mentioned him earlier in the podcast. Paul Hardiman was a was a vital piece of us performing last year because he was an expert in the defensive side of the game because that was what he did as a player. That is, you know, um, what he was most uh, at home with. So, would it be wise for me, uh, even though I'm head coach, to try and run the defensive session when I've got Paul there right next to me that's going to do it better than me now? that's from my aspect letting him go and do his job and he's the expert expert and that's why i would then support him in that in that role um and the roles would flip slightly he'd be leading and i'd be supporting and i think to to do that you have to have confidence in your in your abilities and have confidence in your character to let somebody else take charge and that doesn't mean that you're still not the person making the decisions but it's being comfortable and and vulnerable enough to to understand that that's vital for for the team um so stepping back at the right moments and letting people take charge in in the right uh circumstances being comfortable being uncomfortable yeah it's actually actually actually, um that's actually a a term that i use with the team uh that we we need to get comfortable at being uncomfortable in games um i refer to that in games on on the defensive aspect when you know you your back's against the wall and and I think that's, again, going back to what we achieved, that's what we got really, really good at. Uh, we, we knew that we could ride out them uncomfortable moments and we were extremely comfortable in them, so to speak. So interesting that you, you share that, that analogy. So- yeah. Well, listen, final question. What is your greatest curiosity about coaching, leading and managing? Greatest curiosity? Um, Fantastic one to finish on. Um, I am I'm curious to see that is it the and I and I think I probably already know the answer, but my experiences will will prove me either right or wrong. Is it good leaders and, and good people that achieve uh, the most, or is it tacticians and systems and formations? And my belief is that uh, that the behaviours. And the personality, the leadership of somebody will far achieve, outperform, sorry, it's probably a better way to will, will outperform um, somebody that is tactically astute. Um, so I, I suppose we'll see over the years. I'm curious to see if that, that's how it is. Um, I think I'm probably quite balanced right now on both. But I believe that if I can really sort of master the leadership side, the mentorship side, that that will will outweigh long term the tactical side. Rich, we'll, what we'll do in 10, 15, 20 years, we'll get you back on <laughs> and answer that question for us and we'll see what you've come up with. I look like Keith. <laughs> <laughs>
when uh, by the time that rolls around, won't I? I mean, we're very similar now, right? But um, you know, I'll uh, I'll probably have some some glasses on as well and have more wisdom and, and yeah and and have have more years of experience under our belt. So uh, that's ultimately what allows us to to go out and uh, educate others, isn't it? So um, long ways to go for sure, but exciting. You know, it's it's a journey, and I'm sure there'll be many many ups and downs along it, but. Yeah, constantly learning, and it's uh, it's always it's always good to be on there, and and uh, it's exciting, which is the main thing. It's why we get into the game, right? To teach to teach the game we love is is a wonderful job to have, and I'm uh, very grateful to to be in that position. Well, we're gonna thank you for for coming on today. Been absolutely top draw. So thank you very much. Good luck because we know you've got the season upcoming. Good luck for this season. We'll be following you and. I know my dad's mentioned it, left back. There's actually two left backs here. So if you are <laughs> sure, there's one of two that you can choose from. We'll be we'll be waiting the call. But in all seriousness, thanks very much, Rich. You've been absolutely top and good luck this season. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you very much for having me on. Thanks for tuning into the Golders podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already subscribed, please do so. Your continued support is highly appreciated and it means so much to us knowing that the content that's being produced is providing value in people's lives. If you would like to know more or get more information from us, you can follow us on Twitter at Gold Dust Podcast, and also you can visit our website at thegolddustcoach.com. Thank you, everybody.